For Your Reconsideration is proudly part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the For Your Reconsideration film podcast, in which three cheeky little devils chat movies to detect the mighty from the malign. It's me, Rob, and here are Simon and James. Hello, you gorgeous pair of rascals. Word. Oof. <laughs> Rob's in a cheeky <laughs> mood this evening. <laughs> I'm feeling quite cheeky. Simon, you are back. What a relief. I link. am back. I'm sorry, I had to do some super secret business, uh, but it's fine now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm well, welcome back to the fold. I think, James, I think we uh, we manfully held on to the fort, but we it's good to have our brother-in-arms back with us. Yes, I would 100% concur with that, Robert. Excellent, well. excellent. Have you guys... Oh, you guys, you guys, <laughs> you guys. You guys, oh, shucks. Um, have you guys watched anything good this week or anything bad or anything mediocre? I've not been to the cinema recently, sadly. I mean, there's been a lot of my school, but I'm so busy. Um, I've just been watching... Um, everyone keeps banging on about Mindhunter. So uh, I, I'd never watched it, so I was like, I'm going to start Mindhunter. God damn it, that's a good programme, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Is it good? <laughs> yeah, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. And it's like, I, I, I was wondering why Fincher hasn't made a movie for so long, and then now I see why because he's been making this absolute gem of a TV show. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Oh, seriously, I need to... Yeah, if you like Zodiac, you'll like Mindhunter. It's really, really good. Oh, that, you see, now that does excite me, because um, I have to be honest, Zodiac is my favourite Fincher movie. Yeah, I remember we went to watch that, didn't we, uh, while we were at uni? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Life-changing. It's in that same vein. It's it's very, very good. So good. Yes. Yeah, yeah really I, th- good. I think, crucially, um, I didn't like Fight Club. So I was always like a little bit like oh, I don't want to be going seeing anything like that again, and um, but I, I adored this to its absolute yeah. bounds. Yeah. So you you yeah. If you haven't seen Mindhunter, Rob, definitely go on. It's it's very. very oh, I good. will do, mate. Thanks very good. Much. James, have you seen anything this week? Yeah. So uh, first of all, uh, we're recording this on the thirtieth of August. Oh yeah. So according to Terminator Law, we have survived another Judgment Day. All right. So that's twenty-one in a row. Congratulations, guys. Thank God for that. (laughs) (laughs) So I celebrated last night by going to see a Terminator double bill on the big screen, and it was bloody wonderful. Oh, that is a long one, though, isn't it? Yeah, um, it was the theatrical cut of T2. Thankfully, and there was an intermission as well in between, so it was uh, it was all good. But uh, I tell you that Jim Cameron, he's going places. Mark my words. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of him. Never well, heard no, of him. Well, no, if he, if he ever gets out of development hell on Avatars two, Avatar- three, four, five, oh six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, <laughs> then he will be going places. But <laughs> to, to be fair, it's a hell of his own making, though, isn't it? Like he decides it he's going to yeah, make them all. <laughs> in between doing presses for the Terminator sequels, which he claims are as good as his originals and that they're not every time and he's just coming out going this film's as good as my ones no it isn't Jim I'm actually paying you (laughs) well he's got a new one coming himself that he's produced hasn't he that he's actually on board with yeah yeah I'm ready to be stung again don't believe him I'm ready to be stung again don't believe him he did it he did it on the last one he did it on the last one and the one before I saw him in his nice little press conference thing yeah. with the poster in the background. He was going, this is as good as anything I've ever done with the Terminator franchise. And it's like, you watch it, you go, oh, yeah, Jim, Jim says it's good. I'm going to watch it. Bullshit, Jim. You liar. You liar. <laughs> <laughs> Calling out Jim on his lies. I enjoyed while he was doing that particular interview, he was feeding 20s into a money counting machine. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah, it's excellent, honestly, lads. Brilliant. All uh, you can hear in the background is. That last Terminator film was bullshit. Sorry, sorry. We're we're not being negative. Sorry, not to be negative on this pod, but yes. I can't even. I I haven't even. I I mean, have they done more since um, Salvation? Yeah, they did Terminator Genesis. This was part of my reason for going last night, like the opportunity to see the original Uh, two on the big screen, because I could no longer live in a world where I'd seen Terminator Genesis on the big screen, but not the original (laughs) two. <laughs> Have you uh, watched anything this week, Rob? No, uh, well, no. <laughs> no, no, right, no, 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 no. In fact, um, yeah, no, no, no. Um, in fact, I, I, I've had a disastrous week, lads. Paul Blart, um, Mall Cop, one and two. <laughs> No, just two. I've seen that six times this week already. Um, so you have been watching something, you big liar. Yeah, but um, the question was, have you watched anything good? <laughs> <laughs> even even the charms of Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 are a bit lost on me now. No, we were supposed to be recording a couple of nights ago. Um, so if today's the 30th, we were supposed to be recording on the 28th. And I wanted to publicly thank you guys for letting us record it uh, tonight instead. Because on Wednesday, I went to buy, uh, well, to, to buy a new van for the family, a nice multi-purpose minivan for all the children and their requirements. And uh, it broke down 40 miles into the journey. Oh, my God. <laughs> From Doncaster over to Manchester. Um, now, I had the, I had the four-year-old with me um, in the car, and uh, she said, it's not starting, is it? I said, no, it's not. Uh, mercifully, we're on the petrol station forecourt because about an hour into this, you know, tete-a-tete that we had going on, she says, um, I need a poo and I don't think it's solid. <laughs> <laughs> um, we... <laughs> we got home eventually at half past 11 at night, but we would have missed the entire recording time. And I think the harrowing toll this has taken on me um, has meant that I've not been able to watch anything at all this week, lads, so forgive me. <laughs> so sorry. Parenthood. What a wonderful... wonderful Parenthood, yeah, literally, literally. No, this is... Um, this I realise as well that, you know, like I use this podcast as therapy. It's also the place where my dignity goes to die. <laughs> <laughs> so, whose film is it this week? It is mine. And I've picked what I think is a real doozy for us. But before we get into the film itself, so this one got me thinking because mm. the film we're discussing tonight is a bit of a forgotten film in terms of it came out, it did nothing, and then it disappeared forever. Mm. And it got me to thinking, and I only watched the, uh, tonight's film about 18 months ago. So I've only recently discovered it as the masterpiece that I believe it to be. And it got me thinking about, we all have gaps in our cinematic knowledge, didn't we? So what I thought would be quite fun to discuss, and also to ruin any credibility we might have with our listenership, is which classic movies have we never seen? And which ones are we ashamed to admit that we've never seen? So many. So oh, many. So James. Many. James, why would you do... I, like, I've literally just said this is where my dignity goes to die. This is like literally where my dignity is extinct. <laughs> well, could not even be resurrected by a shaman. Look, we're in a safe place here. There's no wrong answers. Just, you know, shout it out and we'll support each other through this and we'll we'll make it through uh. together. This really is therapy. Just while you're thinking about this, Rob, because I'm sure you've got a plethora of movies you want to bring up. How, how, um, how quickly... 
so James, uh, we we recently spoke about we went to watch Heat at the cinema. That was one of mine quite yeah. recently. So that's that was a recent one. Thankfully, I did uh, you know uh, right that wrong. Another one which I think James would be quite disappointed with. It's all right, Sai. Lay it on me. I'm 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 going to be fine with it. I know he's a big Scorsese fan. I've never seen Goodfellas. <gasps> Get out! Get out! <laughs> so space what are you even doing this? <laughs> James, oh. this is supposed to be a safe zone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's absolutely fine, Simon. Uh, <laughs> punching a pillow in the background. <laughs> punching myself in the groin. <laughs> three, three big ones. Yeah, Goodfellas, which I knew you wouldn't, you wouldn't appreciate. Also, Schindler's List. Never seen Schindler's List. Oh my! I just I can't bring myself to watch it. It is yeah, it's quite. It's, quite it's not going. a feel good film. Let's be honest. There's no blooper reel. No, no. Yeah, the third one, which is really annoying because I've been it's been on my list for ages, and I've bought it on Blu-ray and everything. My lovely uh, girlfriend bought it me on Blu-ray for Christmas because I keep banging on about it. Still not watched it. L.A. Confidential mm. sat sat on my shelf. Still not seen it, but I really want to watch that. That's really good as well. Very good, yeah. But yeah, they're, they're my they're my three the three big the three big ones I think which uh, I should have seen but I have have not seen. Oh my! Y- you've oh only my. got three big ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's keep it to three for time purposes, shall we? What really? All right. Because um, I could. I mean, Singing in the Rain, Citizen Kane, uh, Gone with the Wind. Some like it hot, Psycho, It's a Wonderful Life. I ain't seen any of them. Oh, It's a Wonderful Life, mate. You've got to watch It's a Wonderful well, Life. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Right. Well, I know for a fact that we've <laughs> definitely seen Citizen Kane because we all watched, we watched it, it at uni. uni. We watched it at uni. We did watch it at uni. Uh, not, not this guy. Were you asleep? <laughs> were, you, were you heavy on a night at Kingdom and you didn't make it to the screening? <laughs> because there I was a screening. I decided that a few, a, a, a few Z- Zs were a little bit more appropriate than Citizen Kane on this occasion. <laughs> Anyway, Robert, um, um, spoilers for Citizen Kane. It's the sled. It's the sled that he's describing. Well, no, I mean, the thing is, I know the ending because it's everywhere. So why would I even bother, you know? Um, uh, why would you waste time with all this stuff when you can watch, you know, Brandon Lee's oeuvre? Or Paul Blart, <laughs> Mall Cop 2. What? What? Why would you bother with these movies? For the 25th I mean, the- side. <laughs> Uh, Rear Window, Sunset Boulevard. Uh, these are these are good these. old ones. What have you, have you got any from modern times, Rob? Like nineties, noughties. Oh right, maybe like hit me with one that you think I might not have seen. I've not seen two thousand and one, A Space Odyssey. Oh, so, that's uh, a that's a belter. That is a belter. Have you seen Arrival? Yeah. Modern times. Have you seen Arrival? Oh, that yeah 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah of course. Good. Well, it's got aliens in it, so of course I have. Oh yeah. Well, that that's that's for me. That's the benchmark of modern cinema for, for me as as film yeah. bro as that is. I think Arrival is one of the best films <laughs> I've seen in the last 10 years. So, yeah. That yeah, one, yeah I'm glad you've seen that, that Rob. Yeah. I'm glad you've seen that. I'm really interested to hear what uh, James is once. Cause James, yeah, come on, James. James goes to watch films quite a lot, and I'm just like, I'm, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm really interested to hear what James hasn't seen. Yeah, mine are like weird ones because they're always like by directors that I really like. But I've just I've just never bothered to watch them for no particular reason at all. I just haven't ever found the need to watch them or whatever. So there's um I've got a Kubrick in here, so Clockwork Orange, never seen that. 
Uh, Sergio Leone, really like. Love the Dollars trilogy. Seen Once Upon a Time in America, which is like four and a half hours long, about yeah, yeah. Uh, five times. But I've never seen Once Upon a Time in the West, which is apparently the masterpiece of those spaghetti westerns. <laughs> never seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, I agree, James. I, I've not seen that either, but I've got it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's sat in cellophane. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I've got it. I've got it. So no, many cellophane. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've got a Scorsese in there as well. Last Temptation of Christ. Never seen uh, that. I thought you were going to say. Oh, that's King the of... Willem Dafoe one, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought you were going to say King of Comedy. Then I was like, "Oh, you better write that wrong, son," because that is. A... No, no, I've, I have seen that one. King yeah, but Last Temptation of Christ. I guess I, I, I know how it ends. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although I am interested to see Harvey Keitel playing Judas with a Brooklyn accent. So. <laughs> How they speak in Nazareth, James. Did you not? Did you not know that? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, last one. Um, I'm a big Hitchcock fan, but I haven't seen Vertigo, which stars my namesake. And um, oh yeah, I yeah, haven't and, seen it either. Actually, I haven't. Seen and apparently, that's his best one. So oh. uh, I, I've really? got that one as well. That's downstairs. Maybe we should we should all. Uh, Yeah, I've not not seen Vertigo. I should watch that. Neither have I. So obviously now we know the FYR film podcast is a Vertigo free zone. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) That's not one to share, really, is it? That one. (laughs) So is is there any any of these that we want to pledge to put right before the year is out as a little side challenge for ourselves that we feel that we need? Yeah, if I can get. If I can get um, the DVD player off Paul Blart for a bit, then yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think Vertigo has won the won the won the prize, though, hasn't it? None of us. Yeah, let's do it, it. Right? Yeah. yeah. Let's All three of us could watch that, and then we'll, we can go. Oh, right. Well, we thought that was quite good, or we didn't enjoy it, or what? So whatever. So we'll, when yeah, we've all watched it, it, we'll reconvene and uh, we'll discuss it on the yeah, pod. So that's one it. to stay tuned for. I like a challenge. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Right, well, um, thanks for that, guys. I awesome. think we all feel better now having got that off our chest and we probably lost dozens of listeners in the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So it's one of those rare occasions where we have a genuine classic on our hands. James, your pick, hit us with it. Yes, so uh, tonight's film was directed by William Friedkin. It's called Sorcerer and tells the story of four desperate men from across the globe who come together to transport gallons of highly combustible nitroglycerine through miles of dangerous South American jungle. (laughs) Nice. In 1971, William Friedkin directed The French Connection. It received five Academy Awards, including Best Picture of the Year. In 1974, he directed The Exorcist. It made history. Since then, Friedkin has spent over two years in five countries on three continents, creating his latest film, an unusual adventure into the realm of suspense. future, trapped in a life that was also a death. Four men take an incredible chance, face an impossible challenge, and risk the only thing they have left to lose. Roy Scheider, in a new film by William Friedkin, Sorcerer. Sorcerer. 
Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. So, James, how does this qualify for inclusion on the podcast? So, uh, the reason that I picked it is it's a forgotten film that absolutely tanked on release. And not only that, it almost destroyed the career of one of the great American filmmakers in William Friedkin. And I personally think it's a masterpiece. But yeah, when it comes to box office, this was an absolute flop and a very expensive one at that. Sheesh. What have we got figures-wise? So it cost around $20 million and only made $9 million worldwide. So we're talking 1977 Ow. here. That's yeah, that's, that's a, a lot. lot. The biggest budget he'd ever had, wasn't it? Like the yes. Friedkin's previous. Oh, that Friedkin had ever had. Yeah, it was like three times, Whoa. four times, five times as much as he ever had on a film. Ow. So uh, a bit of context around the budget is that uh, Star Wars was made for eleven million dollars, and that's in space. Wow. <laughs> 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 wow 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 and and that that leads me to the question because star wars as you say also 1977 yeah. that was obviously one of the biggest hits of all time yeah so that didn't help so this came out a month after star wars and none of the theaters wanted to play it because star wars was still doing gangbusters at the box office yeah um, yeah so they had to pull it out to one of their contracts and put sorcerer in and then nobody was coming to see Sorcerer because everyone was going to see Star Wars still. Ah. Um, so it literally hung around for about two weeks and then it was taken out. And then I think a couple of weeks after that, we had a Bond come out as well. So um, right, right, The right. Spy Who Loved Me came out yeah, a couple yeah, of weeks yeah. later, which had just finished it off. So yeah, there was a lot, a lot of reasons why it didn't work, which we'll get in through the course of our discussion. But ultimately, yeah, it qualifies yeah. because it was a big fat bomb. It was a big fat bomb. So you, you, you picked it. Eight, um, you, sorry, you first saw it, James, eighteen months ago. I did. What like alerted you to it? Because I have to be honest, like I, I only grew to know of it in the last year or so myself. I'd never heard of it before this. So, Sai, what about you as well? Like. Were you, were you aware of this forgotten classic? No, same. I, I'd never heard of this at all until about two, three years ago, maybe, when my personal favourite film critic, Mark Commode, loves to bang on about it. He's a big, he, he is a big William Freakin fan. He's done a lot of documentaries. Yeah, they're best buds. Yeah, really good documentaries with William Freakin about Exorcist and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mark Commode loves it, and he's always banging on about it. And he keeps saying sorcerer, sorcerer, sorcerer. And I'm just like, I'm going to have to watch this now, Arthur, because he keeps banging on about it. And I'm so glad he did. I bought the Blu-ray, and I I think I I watched it like a year ago. First I've ever heard of it. Watched it for the first time like a year ago. Right. Right. Yeah, and I'm exactly the same. So it's uh, Commode is uh, banging on. He loves Friedkin, and he's banging on and on and on about this forgotten film. And I think they must have been doing a Blu-ray reissue of the film yeah and uh that's how i stumbled across it and uh, i'm so glad that i did oh so glad so glad so he's absolutely spot on but yeah it was uh he is i mean to put into context where friedkin was in his career when he'd when he made this movie so he'd done the french connection in 1971 won best director at the oscars that year and then followed it up with the exorcist so he's literally the hottest director in Hollywood mm, at that time, yeah. along with your Scorseses and Coppolas as well. And yeah. yeah, so he goes off to the jungle to make this, uh, a lot like Francis Ford Coppola, he goes off to uh, 
to the jungle to try and make his magnum opus and it just it goes it goes so wrong for him not because of the quality of the film just because what happened yeah yeah oh it's amazing it, like it feels like a massive timing problem doesn't it because star wars came out and completely changed the game of how people viewed yeah. uh films well, really. movies yeah, yeah yeah just in general like viewed movies and it just came out at the worst time. So freaking, like, like as you say, James, like Scorsese, like your Coppola's, they make their movies for uh, cinema goers. And, you know, it's an art form yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And then Star Wars comes out and it just turns cinema into a big, like, for the everyman. So anyone can watch this, anyone can love this. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it just destroyed this movie. And, uh, like, interestingly... um. So on the Blu-ray, there's an interview with uh, Friedkin on the Blu-ray with uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, who interviews yeah. him. I don't know if you guys had watched it. I've, no, I've seen it I, before. I haven't watched it, rewatched it, but I have seen it. Yeah. And there's there's so many good like tidbits in that interview. It's, it's you know if if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Yeah, Friedkin is adamant this is his best movie. Like he yes, he's he's adamant mm. it's him working at the peak of his powers. He directed the shit out of it, which he did. And then, you know, admittedly as well, he's like, oh, they, they give me so much money to make this movie because of the Exorcist and French Connection beforehand. Mm. This is sort of a good segue into the, the critical acclaim of it because yeah. it's it's quite difficult to find a good um, cross-section of reviews of the time mm. because you go on your Rotten Tomatoes and your Metacritics, it's all kind of perforated with modern reviews. So yeah. Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes is 82%, which is one of the highest we've ever done. Yeah. Uh, audience, 83%. Yeah. Uh, Metacritic is slightly lower at 68 out of 100. Letterboxd surprisingly goes over the three thresholds. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 4.1 on Letterboxd. Oh, my God. Wow. From watching this interview with Freakin, he, he recounts this story of the time when it came out. And, you know, this is 19... What is it? 77. Yeah. And... He says that film critics have a massive sway on how well films do, in especially in LA and in America. He w- went down to, and got the paper up, the LA Times, and uh, it was a I can't remember the critic's name, but it was someone who's usually really good with freaking films, and he was like, "Oh, this guy's going to do me a solid. He's going to be really great." And he said he absolutely tore it apart, and no, he was just like, "Oh, this has just ruined it for me." So. This one review, what came out as an exclusive, and it kind of, it kind of sort of filtered its way through the rest of the industry, and everyone else yeah. hated it, and it just so at the time as well, even though Star Wars was happening and audiences maybe were looking to different films in the cinema, the critical point of view didn't help it out at all, really, and did really like bury it and yeah. consign it to. Not even bargain buckets. It wasn't even... You couldn't get it. You couldn't get it for decades. You couldn't get it at all, yeah. Because this was going to be my, one of my questions to you, Si, was that obviously it's now revered as a classic in a modern sense, but at the time, my question was, was it seen as a good movie at the time? But the, it seems not. No. From what I gather, you know, as I say, it's really hard to sort of get reviews of the time because if you go on your... Rotten Tomatoes and you Metacritics. Now it's all quite modern reviews and it's quite hard to sort of yeah, yeah. pick out the ones from 1977. Yeah, yeah, of course. But having watched this interview, Friedkin's adamant that the critics hated it. They, right, They right. were like, this guy's lost it. He's, you know, he's too much money. He's, he's all gone to his head, blah, blah, blah. 
and they slated it. They absolutely tore it to pieces. Yeah, I've managed to actually find a couple, Simon, for um, to give you a sense of what critics were saying at the time. So I don't know how well revered some of these people were, but you know, this was sort of some of the consensus. So there's a critic called Leslie Halliwells who produced a, uh, a film guide called Halliwells Film Guide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, found the film truly insulting. Why anyone would want to spend $20 million on a remake of The Wages of Fear, do it badly and give it a misleading title is anybody's guess. The result is dire. What? And then there was another critic called John Simon uh, who wrote... Friedkin spent $21 million to perpetuate a film that could be usefully studied in courses on how not to make movies. Yeah. Damn oh. me. So everyone's giving him a kick in. Yeah. <laughs> like, kick a man while he's down. Because I believe that the apparently the, the shoot itself was hell. Yes. Oh, it looks like you can tell though, can't you? <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah. yeah. I mean, based on a lot of speculation as well, I don't think Friedkin was, uh, was his own best friend too much on that really <laughs> on that shoot i think he was quite hard to get along right. with uh, because he was a very exacting director at the height of his powers and he knew what he wanted and he wasn't afraid to tell people if they weren't delivering yeah. what he wanted like there's a really good anecdote about how he kept firing the production managers and roy schneider was getting really annoyed with him because he had <laughs> to keep going to the to the airport to wave these various production managers off <laughs> so he sacked five during that. He sacked the um, the original director of photography halfway through the shoot oh, no. and brought in the second unit guy to finish the film. Like oh. everyone got malaria, everyone got the shits. It was an absolute. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite famous, though, isn't it? That Friedkin's a bit of a hard ass. Yeah. And I guess yeah, because he's had these massive successful films. Maybe he's a bit more difficult to work with. I don't know, but there's a good um, uh, again from this. It's, you know, it's amazing when you get it from the horse's mouth. Uh, Steve McQueen was supposed to be like in it. He was supposed to be the main actor in it. Yeah, uh, that's who Friedkin wanted to be. Um, Scanlon, you know the Roy Scheider. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. McQueen was like, oh yeah, I love the script. It's absolutely amazing. And then uh, he just got married at the time, Steve McQueen, and he was like, oh, so uh, can you give a role to my wife? And Friedkin was like, well, no, there's no, there's no big roles for me, so, so no. <laughs> So it's like, all right. Well, make her an exec producer then. You know, give her. And he was like, no, I'll not do that. <laughs> and then uh, it already been scouted to be the Dominican Republic. I think it was filmed in. Mm, I believe so. And uh, McQueen was like, oh, can we not just do this in America? Surely we can just film it in America. Freaking was like, oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> so just like, got rid of it. It's like God's sake. So they can't do that. So then uh, his agent or something was like, oh, get Roy Scheider. You know, you worked with him uh, previously, the French Connection, and. Uh, Roy Scheider was a bit in a pissy mood with him because he didn't cast him in The Exorcist as the young priest because he was about to, and the studio were like, no, Roy Scheider can't do this. He's not sympathetic enough to be this young priest. So they they sacked him off for The Exorcist. So Roy Scheider was a bit, like, annoyed with Friedkin at the time. And uh, he had to, like, sort of beg him to come on to do this to do this job. And he, he did it eventually and did a fucking great job. Oh, yeah. And the Roy Schneider thing's really interesting because obviously they did the French connection uh, together. But Roy Schneider wasn't a star back Sh- then. James but- Scheider. 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 You're turning him into Rob Schneider. <laughs> Roy Scheider, who we should welcome back to the podcast as well. He was, was on in the Punisher say. episode. And his tan as well. That's here as well. Yeah, yeah. Fresh from being waxed by Quentin Crisp, he's back on the pod. And his family barbecue. Yeah. 
Good to have you back, Roy. So, yeah, sorry, uh, Roy Schneider. Is that right? Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, 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 yeah. I always thought it was Schneider. I don't know why. Schneider. <laughs> I've got just Schneider written much... here. Never mind. Right. Not for Rob it's, it's, it's my own. Uh, yeah, I just, I just love the guy so much. I want everyone to be him. So, basically, the actor in question was not a, <laughs> <laughs> was not a star when they made the French connection. Um, but he'd made Jaws in the interim that came out two years earlier. And now he was a star. And Friedkin claims that that made uh, him difficult to work with. He wouldn't take on any suggestions. Really? And Friedkin said that casting him was the worst casting decision he's ever made. <laughs> Which didn't mean <laughs> really? the best film he's ever made. It's quite something when he doesn't That's even like funny. the lead in it. That's but yeah, wow. on the casting thing, he, uh, as well as Steve McQueen, he also offered it to Clint Eastwood, Jack Nicholson, Paul Newman, Robert Mitchum, Gene Hackman, and Chris Christopherson before he landed wow, on Schneider. Wow. He really didn't want to cast him. Oh my him. God, that is a lot of people to... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, is it permissible to say that Roy Scheider is excellent in this? Ooh, yeah, he he's really good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's absolutely excellent in it. What's your favourite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favourite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favourite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth podcast network, and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Let's start with the film, because it starts off with a hit. Someone gets shot. It's, it does, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what I love the most about this, and this is a... a guys, we're going to get into spoilers throughout the course of our discussion, mm. as we always do. If you haven't seen Sorcerer, it's well worth tracking down. If you don't want to purchase the Blu-ray, then you... It's, quite frequently shown on Film 4, so you can always look out for it on there and record it on the old box. But I think the Blu-ray is worth tracking down um, because it looks bloody beautiful. It does Um, does look amazing. So what I love the most about this film is this comes out in July. This is a summer movie, which is fucking ridiculous to start with. Imagine (laughs) pitching this. Right, he goes, "Um, so what's the film about, uh, Billy? And it's like, oh, yeah, it's about these four guys who have to truck a load of nitroglycerin through the South American jungle. <laughs> and it's really dangerous because it could blow up at any section. Oh, this sounds like an adventure film. It's like, meh, kind of. <laughs> not really. So we've got some good heroes that we can, <laughs> that we can yeah. root for. Um, no, really. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about one of them. Well, one of them's an American character who robs from churches that are mob-owned and then gets in a horrendous car crash and has to go and live in um, South America because <laughs> he's got a target on his back. All right, okay, so he's a bit of a lovable rogue. Eh, kind of. Anyway, um, (laughs) what about the other characters, Billy? He's like, uh, well, one's a white-collar criminal who's about to go to jail for uh, committing fraud, and he runs out on his wife and his partner who's so guilt-ridden that he's killed himself. (laughs) Okay. Which one are we supposed to be rooting for? Well, I've got another guy for you. He's just a cold-blooded assassin and he barely says anything. He just shoots someone as soon as the movie opens. <laughs> okay, so this is another one of the heroes. Right, okay. Um, and uh, Sorry, you said there was a fourth character. Yeah, 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 there is, yeah. Um, he's a terrorist. What was that? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, can you say that again? I didn't quite catch that. 
Uh, yeah, he's a he's a terrorist. Uh, we meet him in Jerusalem blowing up some sort of temple <laughs> at the start of the film. <laughs> I love this is like when I, when I watched this film for the first time. This was one of the things I loved most about it was you open up with this like half hour of what are essentially the end of other movies. So yes. we're watching like yes. four other, the end of four other films and then it blends into this other film happening. Yeah, you'd never get a film structured like this again. They'd be like, never. right, we've got to lose all of that. Let's get them in the jungle as quickly as possible. Yeah. But he's like, no, no, we're going to have a 25 minute long prologue, basically, that takes place that's shot on location all over the world and I'm going to set all of these guys up, and every single one of them is a horrible person. Yeah, all <laughs> it's, it's all so bold. It is, you, but you, like you said, you could never make this now. No, no chance. No way. Not for this budget. It. Well, you wouldn't even get funded. <laughs> no, you wouldn't get funded. I mean, I love. I, I was fascinated with each one of them. Yeah. Oh, they're so compelling, all four of them. Yeah, yeah, completely. This is why Friedkin's one of the great directors, because when they actually yeah. do, do get... We'll go through the actual film, but when they actually do get on the journey, you see how dangerous this journey is and the oh, desperate yeah. circumstances that these men have been living in, right? You do root for them. Yeah. <laughs> Where you're not rooting yeah. for them, like, I think that, But I they're think... horrible. As I say, one is a terrorist. He blows up a temple in the first <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that. I love. I think all the best, um, uh, well, a lot of the very best stories out there um, are ones that challenge you to root for people you're not supposed to root for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And all of them. Like all every of them. I mean, the one. only one for me is like the the assassin guy. I think he's a bit of a dick. You know, he's the one. Yeah, I he is a dick. Yeah. yeah, I'm not really bothered. Yeah, yeah. The thing with that assassin is he's sort of forced into it anyway, isn't he? Because <laughs> by being an assassin and killing someone else. By being an assassin <laughs> and killing someone else. Just like, well, he wanted on the job, I assume, because they have tryouts, don't they, to see who can drive the <laughs> trucks correctly. They do. <laughs> and I so when you said tryouts, it sounds like we've segued into never been kissed and it's like at high school and <laughs> Roy Scheider can't get on the basketball team. <laughs> so we, and he's given a crate of nitroglycerin. <laughs> Oh dear. So yeah, uh, anyway, we're jumping all over the place. So we have the four vignettes, don't we, at the start with Mm. the various characters and how they end up getting to South America uh, and the various crimes that they've committed and the lives that they've had to run away from. Yeah. Mm. I I think this this opening is so good because I'd only recently got into Friedkin's work, really. I'd only recently watched French Connection as well. The thing what strikes me about Freakin, he's so good at shooting on location. Yeah. You know, at this point, even though we've got a whole other hour and a half to go, we already know this is a superbly directed movie. And the sound design, even the sound design at this point is Yeah, it's superb. Superb. You've got two opening scenes. We go for 20 minutes without any dialogue. And it's all ambient sound of people outside it's all explosions yeah even like when we're in paris and just the gravel you know when uh victor's having dinner with his wife yeah his his feet on the gravel outside it's like yeah yeah, it's just so good just everything this opening is one of the best openings to a movie i've ever seen because it's not a traditional opening to a movie yeah it's something completely different No, it's like a novel isn't it more than anything yeah it is yeah it's almost like a literary novel in that sense. It's got very um, yeah. uh, ambitious structure, narrative structure that you wouldn't find anywhere else. From the very beginning here, I'm sitting up because I'm 
in the company of a master storyteller and filmmaker. Oh, yeah. That's in, that's yeah. like immediately what I'm feeling at the beginning. Even this start here is a masterclass in telling a story without dialogue yeah, or with scant dialogue. So much so that when we get to the point, because the main crux of this story is that these men getting together and their journey to deliver the nitroglycerin across, you know, across this treacherous trail. But because the time's been spent here to deliver all these characters to that place with such care, the character development is already done. You know, like their arcs are already sort of in place Mm. so that when you get there, you can just go straight on with that part and develop them as you go. So we've got, it's like almost having, you know, again, it's useless me using hand signals on a podcast, (laughs) but you've got four different strands suddenly merging into one as you get them into South America. Now, I absolutely loved the... my favourite actually was Victor in the end, uh, Bruno Kremer. I, I thought he's yeah. like he had some movie star charisma and delivery, and he was so so watchable in these early scenes. Yeah. It's just magnet. It is one of the. I think like I've not seen an acting performance because I've never seen this guy Bruno Kremer in anything else, and that's me being an. Uh, no, ignorant, nor have I. But no. I've I've not seen a performance that had me so hooked, and I have to be honest, lads, I've barely made any notes throughout this movie because I felt like I was in the presence of something so special. I didn't want to waste time writing stuff down. You know what I mean? No, yeah. no, no. That's I, exactly. I exactly. Is this a first watch for you? Uh, yep, yeah, totally first watch. Um, oh my god, what a treat you've had. I have had, you know, I didn't want to say it before, but when you said, have you watched anything good this week? I was like, yeah, I have. Yeah, I yeah, watched well Sorcerer. Have. I watched Sorcerer this week. Because uh, this, uh, no, I'm going to I'm gonna put it out there right now. This is going to fly up into my top 10 of all time. Yeah. Same, same. It's, I think it's it's around it's around the top 10 of mine. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's up there with like Apocalypse Now in terms of, the the ambition and just yeah. a filmmaker just using all of that cachet that he's got to just go and do the film that he wants. Obviously, Apocalypse Now was a huge financial and critical success where this one yeah. wasn't at the time. But it's very much two ridiculously talented and ambitious filmmakers going and making the most difficult film that they could possibly think and of what, trying what to we make. Said, what was it we said last week, James, on the, the Knowing episode? That we said that sometimes true greatness is measured in the attempt and not yes. necessarily in the actually getting there. I think he gets there as well here. He does. He yeah. does, yeah. He does. So I, I, for me, this is just an absolute treat. Just a total, total treat. Um, but um, most of the time, you know, I'm looking at Scheider and I'm thinking, that nose is unbelievable. It's <laughs> <laughs> the flattest thing I've ever seen. That is an absolutely Bruce. unbelievable. Honestly, <laughs> it's such a good nose. You could use it as a spirit level, you know, when you're doing pictures at home. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's involved in this. I mean, they, they rob a, a church, don't they? Him and his little goonies. Mm. Um, yeah. And they... Um, <laughs> nice heart back to Dead Man's Shoes. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, uh, these are better goonies than those goonies, by the way. Uh, but it's quite <laughs> Not marginal. Really, Not really. <laughs> they all end up the same way. Um, and they in- end up in just a shocking, sudden, very violent and graphic car crash. Yeah. I mean, let's be fair. Uh, Roy's one job, sorry, Scanlon's one job was to drive them away from the crime scene, <laughs> and uh, he crashes the car. So he's not done his job very. Kills well, them he's all. Not very, he's not a very good, not a very good driver, is he? No, not at all, not at all. And then, which is ironic, gonna... considering what his job's going to be later on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are your driving credentials? I'm really good at flipping them. I'm I'm great at flipping them. <laughs> 
That's the absolute opposite of what we're looking for, Roy. <laughs> Um, so they've got to get Scheider out of the country after this botched robbery. And that's when you really know that these people are fleeing the place and are going somewhere, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah, because and, the, um, the, the, the mob are after him, aren't they? So he finds out that the mob are, have put yeah. a hit on him. Well, um, one of the gangsters looks like uh, Galatasaray era Graham Sooner. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah. Gorgeous, slight Afro hair. And, um, Lovely. So nice. Yeah, they say uh, he gets a mate who owes him a favour to get him out of the country. Don't forget this guy as well. Then cut to Scheider is in the Dominican Republic and he's been there a bit because he's lean. He's really, really lean. Yeah, and, and he's got the really binning, beginnings of, yeah, dead sweaty, uh, the early hints of life is over facial hair, James, which I know you'll be pleased yeah. to see. <laughs> I don't know if he's got the composition to grow it. I don't know if he's got the right... Uh, if he's follically gifted enough to no, grow no, the, uh, the full out of a... Uh, but, uh, I mean, everybody on this camp should have life is over facial hair, really, because it is... <laughs> yes, yeah. Your life it is, is the over. sweatiest <laughs> and smelliest place on earth, as far as I can tell. Like, And that's another thing that's brilliant about Freakin. I can taste this place when yeah. I see it. Like, oh, yeah. It's so on, unpleasant. <laughs> on TripAdvisor, it would say, very hot, dysentery hotspot. <laughs> but, but really good bread. Yeah, the bread looks <laughs> <laughs> and lovely good bread and stew, really nice. Yeah. Lots of cold beer. Yeah, cons really humid, sweaty, really bad working conditions. Pros good bread. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like sounds like the Warburton's factory. Uh, sorry, no, I've I've never worked there, so I couldn't say that. So yeah, don't know, don't know anything about that. Warburton's is great. Uh, just so we know. That's well, that's another sponsor gone. No. <laughs> <laughs> Great, you know, can't even get bread on our side. Well, to be fair, they just got Robert De Niro doing their bagel commercials. Oh so yeah, they don't need any help from no us. <laughs> <laughs> Does he know that it's a dysentery hotspot? Never mind, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, the local corrupt coppers bully Shida into paying a bribe. Yeah. Uh, to let him stay there. This is just after he's met Victor. Victor's there. And it's lovely to see, um, or it's fascinating, I should say, to see how far these people have fallen. Because last time we saw Victor, he was in a lovely crisp suit, yeah. lovely, you know, restaurant. Um, his partner had just shot himself in the head. Uh, <laughs> in the back of a porch, though, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. And now um, he's in Sweatsville. Oh, he is. Everybody's it's so, so sweaty. sweaty, isn't it? It's so, <laughs> it's so sweaty. <laughs> You just um, you just get at this point and you're like, oh god, the crew must have been in agony filming this movie. Yeah. And we've not even yeah. got to the tough stuff yet. <laughs> like, no, exactly. This oh, is just no, existing like <laughs> Yeah, this is this is just getting a <laughs> You're right. This is just getting the simple stuff. Oh Yeah, so they're all working for this oil co- this petrol company, aren't they? And they're getting paid about three P a day, basically. <laughs> <laughs> And they're all they're basically they've all fled down there, and this America. We assume it's like an American oil company, don't we? And they've got no scruples about who works for them at all. If you've got a haunted past, you're in. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> boy, do we have the right people for that job? <laughs> yeah, and they're the most desperate people in the world who are just trying to survive, essentially. And all of them want to get out of the of the circumstances that are in, but they can't barely for save anything it's going to take them about 25 years which is yeah. again it's just so good how all the motivation um is put forward in the film it's also it is, yeah. straightforward and like i just don't yeah. feel like filmmakers take this time anymore like no. there's a clear 
goal for every single character in there. And it's a shared goal in terms of, right, we don't really like each other. We're all horrible people. Yeah. But we're all in this real shit situation that's completely of our own making. And we have to work together to try and get out of this shitty situation, basically. Super. And it's it's just, but it's all there. You know, we set up all the characters, we see how they got there and we see the circumstances that they're in and we see why they would be so desperate to take to get out. So they essentially accept a suicide mission because getting blown up by nitroglycerin would be better than living in (laughs) so we're like it takes an hour to get into what the actual main conceit of the movie is yeah yeah the adventure yeah yeah. if you if you read the back of the box it's like oh you know as you said before james with the log line four men from different parts of the world come together to transport this thing it takes an hour for us to get to that point yeah all this sort of lead up to that and you're somehow on the side of these four hor- well three horrendous men i'm still not on the side of the assassin he's a prick yeah. um, <laughs> but the terrorists has run you over <laughs> <laughs> again great filmmaking make you root for someone that you, you can't possibly write for yeah it is I'm, I'm with you as well like <laughs> and we get like and we know that um so the reason why it's so volatile, this explosive, is we, we get a big explosion in the oil plant, don't we? Yeah. Because they don't really know what they're dealing with. Yeah. And it's it's a humongous explosion. It's, it's so well shot as well. Oh, it's huge. It, like, it decimates the entire village, doesn't it? And it kills so many people from the village. Yeah. And it's quite it's quite sad, really. Yeah. And there's all that about the way that the, uh, the, the company and the government are exploiting the locals because yeah. the village couldn't couldn't sustain itself without the oil yeah. Uh, yeah without the oil company there and all these people get burnt to a crisp in this refinery fire don't they and like it's just horrendous and there's a big riot and what have you and oh uh, yeah if you if you were making this film today like the studio i think would be like right cut all that not interested in that let's get mm. them in the trucks lads it'd be like a 90 minute like yeah which could work as well you could make a film like that but yeah Lincoln's more interested in the political climate of south america as well at the same time and getting those yeah. themes into the into the movie and just creating this this atmosphere of just complete cynicism that's going to run through the entire yeah, film yeah yeah again like go, going back to this like uh interview sorry i'm I, i'm obsessed with this like hour-long interview what you're gonna have to watch this now so oh it's it's brilliant but he was saying that there was a European cut, so when it come over to Europe, they recut it, and they basically took out all that preamble of New Jersey, oh. uh, France, oh. uh, the Jerusalem bit, yeah, and it was all told in flashbacks during the 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 the, the, the main journey in the cars. So they just no completely way. recut it because they were like, "Oh, no one gives a shit about all that stuff." Oh. and it's just it's it, it's, it's. I bet that was so that. clunky to watch. Like constantly ripping you out of the jungle to force feed you a flashback. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah, it's just like how important that pre. It's an hour. It's an hour of the. It's half of the movie. Yeah, the setting as well. You know, because freaking sees the setup and the setting as characters in their own right, doesn't he? You know, like yeah. he gives them. He gives the setting. It's time to to set and develop and to bed in in your mind as an audience member. It was superb because none of what happens eventually would matter if you hadn't done this. No, because it'd just be some guys doing something dangerous, which you've seen in a million other movies. Yeah. You know, like, and they're is, and they're know, all horrible people, so you wouldn't care. Yeah, exactly. But you know, he's 
it's it's it, we're not going to c- compare the two films in terms of quality, but you know we were doing Man on Fire not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. We talked about how Tony Scott took an hour there to settle the relationship yeah. between Denzel and uh, Dakota Fanning, and this is what he does here because then you'll go on the journey with these guys. It doesn't matter who they are if yeah. you're invested in them as characters, then you'll go on the journey and you'll feel when they feel scared, you'll feel scared for them and you'll root yeah. for them regardless of what they've done in the past. Yeah. Absolutely. Because what we should set up, sorry, we've, we've jumped past it a little bit, is there's, there's a huge refinery explosion. This explosion is so big that the only way to put it out is through more explosives, yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, You've got to blow it out, essentially. Yeah. Uh, this oil company is so unscrupulous in terms of its whole operation, so I don't care <laughs> who they hire. It hasn't been storing the nitroglycerin correctly, and they, there's a brilliant scene in it where they go to the shack where it's all yeah yeah where it's all stored off site, and this stuff is so combustible it's just been left to sweat in the in the jungle basically, and a nudge of this in the wrong direction and it could blow you sky high basically. Mm. So the stakes are set up there. I love that bit where the uh, where the technical guy who knows a lot about nitroglycerin, he puts his hand inside the box to see if it's all still intact and he brings it out and he's got like this nitroglycerin sort of vapour on his hands. Yeah. And he slowly just sort of shuffles out the hook and he scrapes his hands against the leaf and it explodes like... <laughs> Like, yeah. This stuff, we're not fucking around here at all. Yeah. Like, this stuff is super, super unstable. But at the same time, though, it's like, you know, you've got this lovely character-based movie up to this point, and then you introduce something so high concept as this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that it's like you've got such a brilliant one-sentence, like, magnetic problem as you've got to get this highly combustible stuff across the jungle uh, in trucks. And, you know, if you if you don't do it right, it's going to blow you all to hell. Yeah. It's such a great conceit. It's a fantastic idea for a movie. And we should just say as well, it is a remake of The Wages of Fear based on that novel. So I I haven't read or seen the original film, uh, read the novel or uh, seen the original film, but um, so I don't know how faithful this is, but I assume... Yeah. Well, I don't know. (laughs) By all all accounts, it's quite different, I think. uh, Oh, really? From what I gather anyway. But it's good, like, you know, they have these tryouts for you know to find who is suitable to drive this really volatile explosive across the the jungle and at this point we're a bit i mean i don't know about you guys but i was like who the fuck's this assassin guy this is the first scene of the movie yeah yeah we see this assassin we get to these tryouts and we're introduced to a character called marquez yeah 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 and uh you you're like he's one of the he's one of the group and you're like oh you know he's one of the guys and then this is where the assassin comes in because he is the reason he's been brought to South America is not like the other guys where they're brought there out of escaping things and to get away from being arrested or whatever. Yeah. He's there to kill someone. So he as an assassin been brought there to kill someone and this his victim this time is Marquez who's there to kill. Yeah. Who is one of the drivers who gets qualified for this thing but this assassin kills him. They're all like, uh, I think it's the, the guy from Jerusalem sp- finds out and he's like well you're gonna have to take his place now because we need a fucking driver you idiot yeah well the guy from jerusalem tries to kill him first he tries to stop him yeah i'm <laughs> oh, sorry it, it's a uh, scanlon isn't it who says like well we yeah, need yeah. a driver now so, yeah you know, yeah that's where the assassins brought in i just think it's yeah. so so good you know, it was not- i i think you know because i watched this as a first viewing 
and I've written in my notes as I was doing it when I was still doing very scant notes because I give up uh, <laughs> as soon as they get in the jungle. I give up writing notes at all. But yeah, I yeah, put yeah. Um, Marquez doesn't have a prologue. Hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, now, yeah, so all makes sense. The fascinating thing about Marquez is he's German, isn't he? So all the guys have um, fake IDs, don't they? They've all yeah, taken yeah, Latin American yeah. names, even though they look like the most European guys you've ever seen in your life. Um, <laughs> Dominguez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Roy Scheider is um, is Dominguez, which yeah. is hilarious in itself. Like, and uh, uh, But the, uh, the inference with uh, Marquez, who unfortunately gets killed, is that he's probably a Nazi war criminal who's hi- hiding out in oh. in South America because everybody there because he, he, he's a German character, yeah, isn't mm. he? So like, never he is that. known as the German, and like, he's probably a Nazi war criminal. So we end up feeling sorry for him, but he's probably running away from some atrocities that he, oh, no. <laughs> that he committed during the war. Um, I think this is my one and only fact from the film here that he was played by Carl John, who died the same year as the movie was released. I don't know whether he ever saw it. Oh, hmm. wow. Poor Carl. Amazing. Anyway, uh, suddenly they, they picked... <laughs> to the homies that we lost. Uh, they put together a custom-built uh, pair of trucks for the job. Um, yeah. Like a kind of scrapyard pimp my ride. <laughs> it is proper scrappy challenge, isn't it? <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but there was no exhibit, but I assume he had too much uh, amoebic dysentery to uh, attend filming this particular episode. <laughs> hey, 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 Rob, we're in England. We're in England. Tim Westwood. Oh, it's Tim Westwood. Westwood. <laughs> he can have all the dysentery he requires. <laughs> UK, it's about to go down. I once saw uh, Westwood when I was on a holiday down in Newquay. Uh, oh, God, it'd be like what, 15 years ago now. And it, it was a really good set, like really like hip hop of the time, you know, ludicrous and oh. what have you. It's oh, superb. He's like, everybody in the place, put your motherfucking guns in the air. It's like, with Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> on the British Riviera. Christ almighty, so we packed the place out though and really got the party pumping, so fair play, but... Uh, (laughs) Right, um, as soon as we've got the dynamite here in the truck being loaded into sand on the flatbed, the tension is, I mean, it's like... It's ratcheting, isn't it? It it is right there. And suddenly you're on roads full of vertigo and not the film that none of us have seen and sweaty palm <laughs> terror. <laughs> it's superb. From here on in, the tension is just cranked up to 11, isn't it? The whole way through. Oh, yeah. We're just yep. on edge the whole time. Mm. I mean, we thought that uh, Jack Burton was brave going down those narrow alleys in um, in, his tr- <laughs> in the Porkchop Express in Big Trouble in Little China, but you've got nothing on these lads at all. No, no, these no, lads no. are really doing it. These lads are proper truck drivers, even though they're not trained truck drivers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I just... Um, I think that's what adds to it for me, is that um, they're all fish out of waters themselves, you know, just trying to get a bit yeah. of extra pay. I mean, it's not even it's not even the greatest sort of... They want to earn money to get out of there, like you were saying, James. The motivation yeah, do, yeah, is so yeah. pure that, like, it's just there's no grand thing here they're trying to achieve. You know, it's like they just want a bit of extra cash. Yeah, basically. I mean, they do. They they get. I think at the end, um, 
I think the overall for the four of them is forty thousand dollars. Yeah. So yeah, enough to maybe start again somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, not talking. Yeah. yeah. But given the the dire straits that they're all in, is they'd rather t- accept a suicide mission on the off chance that they might make it to the other side, like, <laughs> <laughs> carry on in the way that they're doing. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's just masterful th- stuff. This is all in in the jungle shot on location as well, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Which is unbelievable in itself. Which is part of the reason that the original DP got sacked because he wanted to shoot it on a soundstage because uh, and Friedkin wasn't happy with the dailies, so he sacked him off basically. Nice. Well, not nice, but I'm thinking of you know that moment where in uh, that you mentioned in Big Trouble in Little China where the truck turns <laughs> off a street and suddenly cut. we're in a soundstage. <laughs> because Imagine I think- if this movie. Was- that. It wouldn't work at all, would it? Well, because I'm thinking of, I mean, it's not, it's not too long before you get to that super iconic moment in this film, which I'd oh, seen it's the just picture incredible. of. Um, yeah, but I didn't know what it pertained to at all. But it looked suitably epic, so I just didn't know what it was at all. And then, yeah, so essentially the the two trucks. As they're going along, they find um, they're following the road and end up at a um, well. It's like a rope bridge that they've got to get yeah. these trucks full of nitroglycerin over, and it's they take a wrong turning, don't they? And they end up yeah off the off the beaten track. I, I think I'm going to go even further with this. I think I don't think I've seen a scene better edited, shot, performed, composed, put together ever. I don't think than this. I agree with you, Rob. I I don't understand why this scene isn't ever put up as one of the best scenes ever made yeah, in cinema. It just it's just amazing. It's purely amazing. Every single facet of it is ten out of ten. Mm. It's incredible. Mm. And he does it twice. It's that good. Like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, apparently there was no storyboard for it. They just went in and just shot it. And they were just like, oh, maybe we do this. Maybe we do that. And they just shot it. As it lied on the day. That's amazing. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, there's no way the rain could have been real. I'm sure that was a bit, that was yeah, fake. Yeah. I, did, I did see a bit of that, but mainly, be, it was on mainly the hair. You know, the hair wasn't flicking like, it wasn't bouncing off heads like it would, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I briefly mentioned it before, but the sound design in this film is incredible. And it's probably the best sound design in a film I've ever heard. Mm. Like everything is is unbelievable. Like so, there's that bit where the first the the um, I think it's actually before they get to the main bridge, and they're just going over. It's like a little precursor to it where yeah, they're going so over a little a ramp, tiny isn't it? Yeah, ramp. yeah, yeah. And and you get like the the engines rumbling. There's there's no music. No, it's like engines rumbling, and then it falls through a little bit of wood and it cracks, and then there's a little swinging bit of metal on the front bumper, and it's just like. And yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So good, yeah. And it's just like everything is just so brilliant. And I don't understand yeah. why this whole half hour isn't ever cited as referenced in like why we went to we went to film school, lads. Why did no one mention this this half no. hour to us? It's, I assume it's because nobody had yeah. seen it. <laughs> no, I, I think Super. seriously when we when we were at film school in the middle of twenty tens, uh, no two thousands, sorry, so t- two thousand and four. It wasn't even on anyone's radar. No, not no, at all. Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, th- so w- what we're describing, if we haven't uh, got it across clearly enough for the listener, is yeah, because I've been eulogising about it. Sorry. Yeah, is we come to this rickety old rope bridge that goes across a river, 
and it's absolutely teeming down with rain and there's there's winds blowing a gale as well and like it's a rope bridge that you wouldn't even consider walking across let alone getting a heavy articulated lorry across with with highly combustible nitroglycerin in the back (laughs) and the rain's coming down so heavy that one of them has to drive it and the other one has to sort of bum shuffle facing the the truck and guide the truck across this rickety bridge so roy schneider and uh the assassin character go across Sorry, I'm not going to get that right. <laughs> uh, Roy Scheider and the assassin character go across first, and that's fraught enough. But given the the weight on the bridge, they do quite a bit of damage to it, like structurally. Yeah. So then Victor and Kassam then have to go across, right? And bear in mind, again, I keep harking back to this, but one of them is a fraudster and the other one is a terrorist, <laughs> right? And you fear... Of these guys, you yeah. see the fear yeah. in their eyes as yeah, they're getting yeah. absolutely battered by the elements, and the bridge is on the verge of going. And like he's he's cutting in between the ropes oh, that are fraying as well. At one point, Kassam just... falls through, doesn't he? And yeah. he's falling. He gets attacked back. by a tree at one point. <laughs> Is this a good point to talk about the score for this film as well? Because this is a when the tree comes in and the score goes all yeah, like yeah. horror film. And yeah, it's like, yeah. Rrr, rrr. And yeah, the, the score is brilliant as well. It's, it's all very synthy. Well, yeah. yeah, it's Tangerine Dream who did the score. Who, uh, right, right. Yeah, and again, like apparently um, they did the score based purely on the script. They didn't watch any of the film. They saw no dailies. <laughs> Friedkin just gave them a script and said, "Here's the script. Make make whatever you want. You know, yeah. do, do and if it works, I'll put it in. Basically, because yeah. I, I think I, he probably would have tried amazing. to make it with no music. If he was, he said he didn't want any dialogue really in the film. That's why mm. it's quite minimal on dialogue. He wanted to do it all with just images. So I think if he could have got away with it, he wouldn't have put any music in at all. But I think when he does." Because the score's quite sparse, it's noticeable when it's there, it but he doesn't sparse, use it yeah. over overuse it at all. Um, but when he does use it, it's absolutely perfect. Yeah, like yeah. it's just spot on. It just hits you. It's like, yeah. oh god, yeah, we are watching a film. Here. You know, yeah. like because at some point you're like, oh god, this is it's real, like white knuckling across yeah. this bridge. Yeah, no, it's it absolutely is, yeah. horrendous. And I, but again, all I can think of is we're in we're in the hands of an absolute master. Yeah, without a doubt, it's all yeah. I can yeah. think of. But- Again, sound design, it's everything's so visceral at this point. Like you've got um the rain, you know, the the, the wind coming in and, and then when you, it keeps cutting back to the rope and it's like proper crackling this rope because it's like really tense. And then the wood's really creaking when the tires go over it. Yeah. And I'm just watching so this going like this is an app this is nineteen seventy seven. Yeah. Films can't do this nowadays. Yeah. Like, let yeah, alone. I know. No, that's yeah. right. I mean, sh- shove your CGI because this is all done practically as well. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your CGI yeah. isn't as good as you think it is, like, because you could never get this effect without yeah. proper stunt performers and proper absolutely. Co- choreography on location. It's absolutely I think, um, astounding. I-, I actually remember, I have a second fact that um, they built this bridge specifically for the movie. Oh, uh, but um, it wasn't. No, no, not just that. It was uh, where they originally built it, it wasn't choppy enough or wasn't wild enough for Freaking. <laughs> so they moved it a mile away. Like they literally undid it all and moved it a mile away and rebuilt it. <laughs> wow. That is so Freaking. It's though, that. so on the, good. On the French connection, 
you know the famous car chase under oh, yeah. underneath the uh, overpass in the French yeah. Connection. So they shot a few days of that, and uh, the stunt coordinator came to Freakin and go, "What do you think?" And he went, "To be honest with you, I think what we've shot is absolute garbage. I thought you were supposed to be a real good driver. This is." terrible it's supposed to be exciting this car chase you you want to see some driving so basically no permits whatsoever they got they loaded a camera into the car and the stunt driver just went 90 miles an hour down that really (laughs) shot all of it (laughs) and freaking's like yeah it was it was so reckless it was what i wouldn't do he he was always said i've mellowed as i got older i wouldn't do this now but it was the most reckless and dangerous thing I'd ever done. Oh, just just, just went speeding through traffic to get he's, the shots. He's risking it all for his art, this guy. Yeah, yeah. he's 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 what uh, yeah. You you see it, don't you? All on screen, you see it, yeah. and you. That's why he's so good. Like yeah, and you get yeah. it in this film as well. All uh, absolutely fucking ace. Yeah, so they they make it across the road bridge. Yeah, uh, and then we're like, okay, right, so. That's good. And then we get another brilliant sequence afterwards where they're just coming through the jungle and there's a huge down tree blocking the road. Yeah. And uh, Shida has a has an absolute meltdown in the jungle, <laughs> which is brilliant. Yeah. Like, I was half expecting him to start going, you're sort of fireball, Quint! You're sort of fireball! <laughs> <laughs> he's so great in that moment. And he anyway, is, luckily he? for them in their uh, entourage, they have a guy who's quite uh, adept with the old experience Explosives, having murdered a few people in Jerusalem. <laughs> and he comes up with a crafty little plan to uh, move said tree using the nitroglycerin and basically he becomes MacGyver, doesn't he, at this point? Yeah, he does, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like mousetrap, isn't it? It it's is like... very mousetrap. <laughs> and it's brilliant. It's so it good. I'm not even going to do it a disservice by trying to explain but, it. Uh, just... But in, se- in 77, sorry, James, this, this is like... Like this is amazing. Yeah, it's just this this contraption he sets up to to create an explosion that will clear the path yeah. for the trucks is just sensational, and it it really it's is brilliant. And the and he even builds tension during this, like when they're working on it, because they're you know uh, utilizing this really highly combustible stuff as well, and like he's having to set up this bomb to make it to make it blow, and everyone's running for their lives as well. <laughs> and like, it's such a great explosion as well when it oh, finally comes. Oh, it's another biggie, Super. isn't it? Another big satisfying one, it? biggie. But this is like the fourth explosion so far. Yeah. Like, freaking loves his explosions. He does, yeah. I think that... He's like, he's like the Michael Bay of auteurs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he would not be happy with that. Yeah, no, I... Yeah. Uh, I particularly enjoyed this one because in a colour scheme... Uh, the explosion reminded me an awful lot of when Uncle Duvet's cabin blew up. In. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I, I would usually call you up on a tenuous link, Rob, but I'm actually with you on this. I Thank think you. It's, I think it's Thank actually you. pretty. It's actually pretty. Yeah, the good. way the wood splinters. Exactly. I'd like to think that John Woo was watching uh, Sorcerer the night before. He's like, oh, yeah. Do it like Friedkin. He <laughs> <laughs> was, he was. <laughs> and just off, you know, where that wood is all going everywhere, you've got, you know, Wilfred Brimley's in the background. Oh, chance! 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 You had to do it, didn't you? I've... You had to do it. <laughs> I had to. 100%, baby. Uh, anyway, 
Um, so yeah, it's a really triumphant moment, but they don't celebrate it like it's a triumphant moment at all, do they? Because they're just like, oh god, this has been such yeah, a nightmare. We've got to carry on. Um, and they trundle through, and everyone's like starting to relax, like, oh, the worst is behind us now. The worst has to be behind us. The stuff we've gone through for this nitroglycerin, and we're going to get a nice fat payday. And then um, Victor and Cassam are starting to get along. They're having a nice little chat, and then all of a sudden, uh, their tire pops. They go into a ditch and their truck explodes. <laughs> it's just so it's just so it out of nowhere, isn't it? It's like it's out, of it, it's, abso- it's out of absolutely nowhere, and it's the most relaxed part of the whole film. And everyone's like, the guards down. They're like, oh, oh, fight all that shit's over. The weather's got it's nice and sunny outside. Just have a nice chilled out drive, guys. And then, uh, yeah, Victor brings out the. Um, is it a watch? The watch. What his, yeah. what his wife yeah, got yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, he tells the story of that watch, and on the on the back engraved is uh, in the tenth year of forever. On the oh, back yeah. of the watch. Stealing oh, that. Stealing that. I, oh, yeah, I am super so, romantic. Oh, I am so yeah. having that. Like, Especially I, I don't... if it came from Victor. I mean, Bruno <laughs> Creamer. I'm a creamer Jeez. in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> If my missus ever sees sorcerer in the rack, I'm like, oh no, yeah, don't watch, don't watch that. Yeah, don't go near that. No, no, don't go near that. I, I just, am robbing that. For, can I just for, check? Is that going to apply to all our better halves? Is that, <laughs> don't go near sorcerer because the, you know, it's not very good. It's not very good. But I heard that podcast where you eulogised on it. <laughs> no, no, no. no it's my wife doesn't listen to the podcast. She has to put up with me in real life. <laughs> No, that's very true. My, mine doesn't listen either. Sai, does, does your other half listen? Oh, no, of course she doesn't. She doesn't really give a shit. So we can get away with anything. Ah, oh, well, in which case, poo-wee sick and trumps. There you go. <laughs> is that the worst you offer? Yeah, is that it is. The- yeah, that's... <laughs> Got some X-rated stuff here. Make sure you put the explicit warning on this episode, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, I am robbing that for, for about, yeah, 10th year anniversary, 100%. Yeah, back, um, back to Victor's untimely demand. Yeah, <laughs> it it, it so comes out of absolutely it. nowhere. So he's distracted by this watch and he puts it in his top pocket and then takes a little slight turn to the right and his tyre pops and then they go over and it's, fuck it, it just explodes everywhere. <laughs> you get the shot of the inside of the back, don't you, where the... The boxes slide on the sand, and it's like it's game over. It's just yeah, sk- yeah. Like explosion number seventeen for food. <laughs> <laughs> there Bacon. are a lot of explosions in this movie. There are. There really are, and they're all really good. Yeah, they're all brilliant. They're all practical. So like good. yeah, and uh, Scheider and um, the assassin character of whose name I do know. I don't know why I keep referring to him as the assassin character, and. Uh, I don't know his name actually. I've completely as Nilo. Sorry, uh, they watch it in the distance. They're a little bit. They're a couple of miles behind them. And they see the truck go up, don't they? Yeah. And it has a great. Is it like a great? Is it a whip pan or is it a, a, yeah, a crash yeah, doom yeah. a la jaws on on Shider and um, just watching it go up in the distance? And then they trundle on after it, and uh, they're like, "All oh, right, okay." They, they turn up and they're like, "Oh God, poor fellas, they're uh, they're dead." Yeah. And then. Um, but I'm sure it can't get any worse. You know, <laughs> the worst is behind us at this stage. <laughs> nope, they're set upon by bandits. <laughs> <laughs> Who are brilliant. If I was in their situation, I would have gone, 
Have it, have it, lads. Honestly, it, at this point, I do not give a shit. Just yeah. take it. I do just not go care. as quick as you can down this hill. There you go. Just, <laughs> just literally put your foot down. But but bean it over that little rise there. there I thought I thought again. It's another great scene. Loads of tension. You can see as well though in the acting of. Oh, I'm going to do a massive disservice to the guy who plays the assassin because I don't know his name. But um, Shida and the assassin, Francisco Rabal. Thank you very much, mate. Um, Francisco and Roy are acting... I mean, it's like they, they're getting to a point that they're conveying somehow that they're on the same page, that they're yeah. almost a team, but at the same time, they're at the absolute end of human capability. Like, they're almost at the point that they couldn't care less anymore, but not quite. They're so close yeah. to it, but... Um, they still want the cash. They still, they still Yeah, the they've still got a goal in sight, and it's absolutely... Brilliant to watch, and I thought the um, the banter, if you can call it banter, from the you know the cheeky little chappies was excellent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the uh, they're like a militia, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the great thing about that movie. You just make this movie. You just make up who everybody is yourself because there's no there's no real exposition. You're never you know, told, are like, you? you know, right, yeah. These guys are here now, and they want the stuff in the truck. And uh, anyway, it goes about as well for them as you would expect. Uh, Franny gets his. Um, Gets his gun out and starts oh, capping man. fools. He, he does t- best, he, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, which he's been doing all film. He takes a shot and uh, Roy gets a shovel out and cuts some guy's head off practically. <laughs> which yeah. I didn't expect I, at all. Like, Because at this point, even though there's been like about 67 explosions <laughs> and it's just there's so much money going on on screen, I'm still at this point thinking it's quite, it feels like a low budget film. I don't know yeah, what. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, and then Scheider ices this guy with a spade, and then blood goes everywhere. And it's like, fuck, yeah, yeah. He, he's it's actually really killed violent. a man. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think he's actually killed this poor actor. <laughs> it just, it's so real. It's so real. I spat some pistachio nuts out at this point and rewound it to watch it again. <laughs> like, wow, what, what, whoa. Had to be seen. Yeah, again. it's really full on. Like when the violence comes, it's very violent. It's like we were talking yeah. about right at the start, the car crash. That is oh, one of the suddenly... most violent car crashes I've ever yeah. seen. Like in terms of, it's just really visceral and, yeah. and crunchy and realistic. I and yeah, the most violent moments are really unapologetic ones, aren't they? In yeah, film? The... you know, like where it's just the bare bones of it of what goes on, like a spray of blood and a you know a body ragdolling that kind of stuff that is always like it shocked me um the first time i ever saw anything like that where violence really caught me in a film was when in swiss family robinson <laughs> when um when father that's the character's name uh punches a pirate off the the cliff uh when they defend themselves at the end and just as he gets to the bottom about 10 feet from the bottom of this stunt man falling down the cliff they swap it out for a dummy and they push the push a dummy out and it like blah, 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 and ragdolls the rest of the way and i'm going no 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 a man is dead a man is dead here and i'm appalled as a kid like no um but it's amazing and that like that kind of rawness really gets you yeah yeah it's superb it's just again it's just i mean we can't use any more superlatives no, we can't, like, freaking can't, knows what he's doing he's he's a freaking genius <laughs> <what he> <laughs> oh nice oh <laughs> how long have you been waiting to pull that one out james <laughs> I've, I'm, I've annoyed with myself i've literally just thought of it like i should oh. have had... <laughs> Oh, that should have been the first thing that I put he's on my pro. notes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so at this point, um, 
Nilo's been shot himself, hasn't he? By, yeah, yeah, he's mortally like, wounded. Yeah. Militia, yeah. So he's he dies on the way, and then it's just uh, Dominguez on his own having a meltdown. Yeah, <laughs> poor old Dominguez. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's like his heart of darkness moment, isn't it? Like he's just in the middle of the desert and he goes a bit insane in the desert, doesn't he? Where he's getting a load of flashbacks to his past and what the harrowing stuff that's happened on the journey. And then you're thinking, right, okay, but he's in the desert. He's losing his mind a little bit. But surely, surely nothing else can go wrong at this stage. And then what happens? The fucking truck breaks down, which is quite uh, thematically uh, relevant considering what happens to Rob this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had my own version of Sorcerer in Doncaster and instead of nitroglycerin, I had a five-year-old with diarrhoea. <laughs> <laughs> equally as dangerous e- equally as dangerous. just as unstable <laughs> if you'd seen the things I've seen oh jeez so then he has to get out and walk the rest of this nitroglycerin to the destination right can I just right James last week you said any film would be great with Cage in it yeah I'm thinking now I've seen this, like, I love Shider in this, but can we just picture an alternate universe where from the minute that Nilo gets shot, the rest of Shider's role is played by Cage? Can we just picture... (laughs) Until until he's got himself back under control again. How much fun he would have had with this. Uh, You know, just... uh, (laughs) James Paul the face. Can't see that on the podcast. But (laughs) he's like, I'm ready... Ready for that big ride, baby. And uh, it would just be... ah. Uh, He'd be licking the nitroglycerin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's real naughty. Bathing real naughty. It. <laughs> oh, it's like a piece of sorbet for sweat. <laughs> it would be amazing. <laughs> All of a sudden, you've got Shida wandering through the, the bleakest landscape with a crate of nitroglycerin, hoping he gets to his destination. Yeah. And he and he does, and then he gets there, and the thing, the fl- it's at night time now, and the flames are just shooting up out of the earth yeah. out into the sky, and he's and he collapses, doesn't he? Is which is not the best thing to do when you carry it. But he's absolutely he's gone half mad by this point, and uh, he has, yeah. And then it cuts, and we're back in the horrible village, aren't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's getting his check paid out. He's got his old forty thousand dollars, and he's got—he looks yeah. so. Quick shout out to the wardrobe at this point. This is the most oh, striking stuff, wardrobe yeah. ensemble of the year. It was gorgeous wardrobe. Yeah, he had enough time to go and buy a crisp linen suit. Yeah, and yeah, uh, which was very he's got, nice. He's gone full man from Del Monte, hasn't he? Looking, looking very <laughs> he <lovely. has. laughs> But he's got—he's got pure. I mean, still, he's got pure regret in his eyes. He doesn't look happy about anything at this point. Like he's no. seen and been involved in some serious business. Um, yeah, and I think Sh- Sh- uh, Shida is great at this because his eyes are so expressive. Yeah, he's a really good actor. He like, really is. Real, real, real yeah. good very, actor. very good. Yeah, you only got to look at his filmography. Like he's been in three classic movies, like French Connection, Jaws, and this. Like he's he's a brilliant actor. And the Punisher, and the Punisher as well. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. And and a classic TV show. What what's that? Enlighten me. I'm not sure what you're referring to. Uh, Sequest DSV. <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> uh, hang on a minute. Star Trek, I've never heard of it. Star Trek Under the Sea. <laughs> never heard he, of it. He plays <laughs> Captain Na- Commander Nathan Bridger, uh, and he's. Uh, this was like in 1993. This was like uh, whatever network it was. His big swiper 
Star Trek was to, you know, <laughs> you know, the year they set it in, it was like a futuristic submarine was going around, like serving, protecting colonies under the ocean because Earth had wiped out it all its natural like Stingray. Uh, no, no. This goes to the loo liberally all over Stingray. So, so what? So what you're saying? So what you're saying is in the early nineties, Roy Scheider's career took a dive. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. He went there. No, he did not, because he was in a submarine and he could still breathe. Uh, barely. It was. It, I mean, it it lasted from ninety three to ninety six. So you know, who's the real winner? <laughs> I would say that Roy won in the 70s, to be honest with you. <laughs> there was a talking dolphin in the show, so just don't, oh, lovely. don't forget. You, know. <laughs> you can't possibly jump the shark underwater, so we oh, got no, a talking no. dolphin <laughs> instead. Oh, you're on fire tonight. <laughs> I know, yeah. You can't jump the shot, but you can talk the dolphin. I feel like my freed congenius has just uh, has just loosened <laughs> up all the juices for everybody. Like, got to create juices. <laughs> uh, so sorry, yeah. Um, before Roy Scheider obviously um, acts uh, the face off the planet in Sequest DSV, he's at the end of uh, Sorcerer in that bar that he was in at the beginning, where he asks a lady mm. to dance with him after he gets his check. Mm. And yep. that, I found that extremely poignant. Um, yeah, it's like he just wants to feel human again, doesn't he? Yeah, like, yeah. After everything that he's been through, like, and, and all this, you're like, you're like, you're relief for him because you're like, oh, oh, so glad it's all over for him. And then you're immediately reminded he's actually a bad guy. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. his past and catches he, up with he him. Can't outrun your past. No. Like. And the last thing you hear is so. There's this brilliant crane shot that elevates yeah, above the, the bar over the corner of the street where this bar is on in this really deprived little settlement. And this car arrives that's got that mob guy from earlier on, not Graham Souness, the other one. Um, <laughs> yeah. And all you hear, you see them walk into the bar and all you hear is a gunshot. Yeah. And it's... Or as Friedkin sometimes says when he's trying to be playful, oh, it was just a car backfiring. You know? Oh, really? Is that what he says? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, but again, I think we I think, know what he's doing. But I, look, I, I just... So I was wondering then, you know, and again, this is me only watching it this week. Did When, when Scheider asks for a dance with that lady, does he know what's coming? There is a bit of resignation in his eyes, isn't there, when he there does is, it? There is, yeah. Like, it's kind of like, he's just like, ugh, I've done that for nothing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, yeah, It's like even like going through all that and getting all that money. It's like, but what's next? Do you know what I mean? Where am I going to go? I'm still always going to be on the run. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You've got, you know, it's like he's remembered like, you know, and that was a horrible thing to have to go through in order to get this money in the first place. I think he's just trying to like he's trying to make himself feel better in terms yeah. of and feel like a person again. Yeah. But he just can't. You know, he's been through too much. No, it's, it's just crazy, it's just, isn't it's it? just amazing. There's so much going on in that scene. It's I, brilliant. I think it's a classic ending. Oh, really, I think it really is. Good. After all of that for it have the mob come to I mean it's like um it's so much more subtle. I mean a similar uh, one where uh, example, sorry, of the mob coming to catch up would be this is big spoiler alert for Layer Cake, where um, yeah, um, so yeah. have you seen that before? I ruin it for you. Yes, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, yeah, yeah. but it's all it's a lot more heavy handed than this, you know, where yeah, it's just yeah. 
like even even freaking as you say, James, he's still playing with us about what really happened. Yeah, because he says it's he says well nothing happens. It's just a score because the score kicks in as the credits drop and the score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He won't he won't tell anyone whether there was a gunshot or not at the end of the film, like, which <laughs> yeah. I think is brilliant because so it's good. just like you make your own movie up. Yeah, like, do what you want. That's so <laughs> good. And he's not and again he's not treating the audience like idiots. No, not at one point through it. He trusts us. With the material he's given us, which is superb, because yeah. I don't think enough filmmakers do that at all. And then as that kicks in from Tangerine Dream as well, that that drop, it's very carpet. I don't know what. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Tangerine Dreamer before Carpenter or not, but it's got that. Synth but I know what you mean. Yeah, it's very synth. I was thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. Porkchop Express all over again here. <laughs> it's not quite as it's not quite as uplifting. No, it's not really. <laughs> so, um, could I grab a best bit from you both, please? Oh, I mean, oh God! I think we've—that's oh, all we've done for the last hour yeah. and a half. And just talk about all like every scene is so fucking fantastic. Yeah, the best bit of like, William Freakins the Sorcerer is William Freakins the Sorcerer. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to look beyond the rope bridge scene. It really is. It's yeah, a brilliant piece of tension-filled filmmaking. Mm. But what I really liked is you know when they're doing the scrap heap challenge with the. Uh, <laughs> with the with the trucks, yeah. and they finally finish it off, and the rain's coming down, and the headlights come on. Yeah, and it's just that, the truck silhouetted against the rain. Yeah, yeah that's probably my favorite shot in the whole movie. Yeah, that's, that's really nice. iconic. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it would be if anybody had seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly mine as well, James. Like that bit, yeah. that shot is so perfect, isn't it? Like, after yeah, the Rocky it Four montage. I mean, yeah, I forget it even has a montage in this movie. It does. Fucking yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's my favourite bit as well. Like when that when that truck comes on, it's fucking Banging. It is because it so looks good it. it looks supernatural, doesn't it? Or it does, yeah. From the this world, even though it's well, no, but he's, he's even made the trucks into characters, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so um, good. I think my favorite bit is going to be that um, that ending. I thought the tragedy of him dancing only because I I was in my head as soon as I heard the gunshot. I'm picturing. Oh, as soon as it was like the dread that I felt as soon as I saw that car pu- car pull up. Like, yeah. no, no. And that is what great movies do. They pull at your most extreme emotions, don't they? And that was like, I was so all in in this story. For it to end that way was at, at the same time devastating, but brilliant. Mm. So, because I could picture them shooting him in that woman's arms. Yeah. You know, I like that's, that's, I just thought it was so, so great. Anyway. For your reconsideration, this might be an easy one. <laughs> no. James, uh, no, no. James, I'm going to leave you the final word because it was your pick, as we okay, always cool. do on the pod, but sigh, for your reconsideration. Oh, absolutely. I think this is by far and away the best film we've done. Oh, yeah. I think in terms of a filmmaker's perspective and, um, you know, an absolute masterclass of tension building uh, and character building as well. Like that first half hour, 40 minutes where we're just introduced to these characters who are absolute shitbags. But then we ultimately are on their side. And as we touched on on before, I'd never heard this film until I heard Mark Camo talk about it. And I'm so glad he did. And I I genuinely believe that the reason it has got reissues and the reason it's on film for is because he was on a one-man crusade to push it in front of everyone. Um, So, yeah, thank you, Mr. Mark for because I'd never heard of it. And it's no. one of the best films I've seen. It's easy top ten for me. Best films yeah. I've seen. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh if if only to cement that 
one step further. Um, yes, recon, you know, reconsider. This is bold, brilliant, unapologetic filmmaking, which calls to mind everything I love about cinema. It's going to challenge you. It'll confound you. It'll push you. But good heavens, is it worth it? This is something so pure, tangible, um, in, in terms of its pure, like movie magic. There is movie magic on display here, which is... It's not off. It's not something you can measure, but when you're watching it, there, you're, this is a, there's a spell being cast here. I urge everyone to go and savor and share Friedkin's Sorcerer as quickly as you can. Um, this is sublime. I don't think I can be clearer than that, boys. Mm. Yeah. So I, I'm going to uh, sound before I go into whether you can reconsider it. Obviously, it's my pick. That's what I'm going to go for. Uh, I ran a bit of a poll on the Twitter this week just to Ooh. see what what our um, Twitter followers. Uh, thought about the movie and how many had actually seen it so we had a quite a good response on it and 39 percent of that vote had never heard of it and 28 percent had heard of it but never seen it wow so hopefully all of our listeners are going to go ahead and pick this one up and uh and give it a listen uh give it a what give it a listen give us a listen then give this one <laughs> um, yeah but yeah for me this is an old school gritty men on a mission movie uh as simon sort of said earlier it's one of the greatest films ever made uh it's bleak it's pessimistic and incredibly harsh it's desperate men doing desperate things in a desperate situation He's crafted a macho masterpiece here, expertly establishing characters before sending them on a suicide mission through the jungle. It's crunchy, visceral experience, a tour de force and visual storytelling. And for me, should be revered in the same way that the French Connection and the Exorcist are. Mm, I agree. I, I, nail on the head. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just it's brilliant. such I mean, a good movie. Uh, this was his three. He went French Connection, Exorcist, and then this. And then, unfortunately, because of the failure of this. Uh, he had a contract with Universal that was that was voided immediately, so they weren't going to work with him again after this. He went off to Paris to recover from malaria, which he'd picked up on the set of this movie. Oh my God. And he was never allowed to operate at this level again. He's made a lot of good movies since then, but that three, I don't think he was ever as good as this ever again, mm. but... You know, Freakin's a great filmmaker. He's always interesting, and he's been doing good stuff since um, since the seventies until this day. Uh, he's eighty four years old. I think it was his birthday yesterday. Oh, seriously! Actually, so happy, bu- oh, happy, happy birthday! birthday really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, he's a brilliant raconteur. So, if you, as Simon sort of cited the interview that he did with Nicholas Winding Refn, he's just done a. We don't usually plug other podcasts, but Mark Commode has a uh, podcast called. Uh, commode on film and he's just done a two-part discussion with friedkin about the reissue of another one of his films that was underseen and i haven't seen but i'll be checking out called cruising starring al pacino oh yeah, um, yeah yeah that's getting a 4k remaster and reissue so yeah he's a brilliant raconteur very candid and um one of the best filmmakers of one of the best ever american filmmakers in yeah. my opinion yeah. this is probably his best film I agree. I love it. I absolutely love it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for tuning in. We're on Twitter. See us there at FYR Film Pod. We're also on email. Send us stuff to reconsiderpod at gmail.com. We're on all your streaming services. So give us five-star reviews. Come on. You know you'll sleep better if you do so. Say goodbye, boys. See you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Take it easy. See you next time. Come on, kids, put Paul Blart down. We're going to go watch Sorcerer.
Daddy, make the truck go boom. <laughs> Is there an airbag on that truck? <laughs> there are no safety features on those trucks. There is none at all. None at all. But something I'm familiar with after this week. 